Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. All right, for this week's episode, we're going to do something pretty different. I just returned from Vilnius, Lithuania, and I led a pretty incredible panel discussion there following my keynote presentation. So, I was excited when the organizers decided to let me use the recording from that panel discussion for this podcast. So the panel included uh, four panelists. Um, one of one of the panelists sold this company to Shopify after only a couple of years. Another one has built a company to nearly a thousand employees. And probably the what I got most excited about was that the panel also included a CEO who led a turnaround for a company that has reached that $1 billion unicorn status. And so the company's called Vinted. We dig into a lot of details about what they did to drive that turnaround. So that's super interesting. But there are a ton of great lessons in this discussion. So everything from the challenges of starting and running a company in Europe and you know some of the benefits of doing that, as well as why some some companies succeed and other companies are have a lot a lot more challenges getting out of the gate and so yeah we did, we covered a lot so let's go ahead and get started I'll start with an introduction um, so uh, Jonas uh, Jonas Karklis he's the uh, co-founder of Tesonet and um, if you didn't know it already. They're they're a really successful company here, and uh, I'm excited to uh, welcome him. And if you could give us a brief introduction to Tessanet, what you guys do? Yeah, so Tessanet once uh, was a small startup, and now it's a big startup. Uh, <laughs> actually, Tessanet is an accelerator for different products and projects, and Tessanet invests money in other startups and companies. And uh, yeah, uh, the company is now quite big and uh, we have almost 1,000 people right now. Um, yeah, and uh, one of the focus of, of uh, areas uh, is cybersecurity. All right, and then to Jonas's uh, left, we've got, I'm going to need some help on your last name as well. So JB Dagane. <laughs> how, how do you pronounce it? Dagony. JB is from France, uh, but he's he's based here uh, with a company called Seventy Ventures, which is a revenue accelerator for B two B startups. So, welcome, JB. Do you want to give us a little more of an explanation of what you're doing? Sure. Uh, so glad to be here. The, the long story short is I'm a sales guy. Eventually, I became an entrepreneur, and today I'm an investor. And the short story of what I do is uh, I start my day by eating SaaS for breakfast and I have B2B sales for lunch and I finish <laughs> it with data for dinner. <laughs> and, um, and eventually how we help startups from the very beginning, we help founders to repeat what they have been successful at and uh, putting them in front of customers with a specialized sales team that will basically look for leads the same way the founders would look for them and book meetings for them. So they, uh, early on, the founders only spent time on the part of the B2B sales process that add value. And it was very interesting to look at how you do growth hacking because we do tons of testings and we value data over opinions 100 times. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then we have next to JB, we have Thomas Slimas. 
don't know, probably Slimas, okay. <laughs> Hopefully uh, you, you guys will all, all know that I'm butchering that because he's the, uh, uh, the second Lithuanian on the, on the panel here. So uh, Thomas is the CMO and co-founder of Oberlo, a company that was founded here in Lithuania and pretty quickly got acquired by Shopify. So congratulations on that. That is awesome. And so now he's also a director of online marketing at Shopify. So Welcome. Can you give us a brief introduction to what you guys do at Oberlo and the problem you solve? Sure. Uh, glad to be here. Um, so um, Oberlo is now part of Shopify and together with Shopify, uh, we help uh, entrepreneurs start their businesses and grow them uh, and we support them throughout their journey. Um, okay. Great. <laughs> All right. And then finally, we've got uh, Thomas Platenga. Almost. Uh, <laughs> almost. All right. Um, so he's the CEO of Vinted, and I'm really excited to have Thomas up here because I think there's a really unique story in, in Vinted. Um, it's uh, a company that was founded here in Lithuania, and it's uh, unicorn status. So there's, uh, there's the, that, that's a hard status to get to, but I think what's particularly interesting is that Thomas came in as part of a, a turnaround effort there. And so to, to be able to help drive a turnaround to build a unicorn company, I don't care what country you're in, I have not heard about that. So that, that is super exciting. Can you give us a little bit more details on what Vinted is all about? Yeah, well, Vinted is uh, pretty simple. We, uh, we sell secondhand clothes, so we really know well how to sell your clothes, and that's about it. I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, we can talk about uh, all kinds of stuff, but practically that's what we do well. And since 2016, we kind of found out how to do it. Because before that, it was like a really nice idea and people loved it. But then we found the economical model on how to make it a scalable business. Fantastic. Well, um, we will definitely dig more into that story as we go on. But I wanted to start by just you know, looking at it from, from the local angle here. Um, there's, there's some huge advantages to being based in Lithuania, um, but there, I'm sure there's some challenges as well, especially relative to being in, say, Silicon Valley, where there's a big network for startups. Um, I'd, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on, uh, and I won't have much to contribute here since I've not been based here, but some of your thoughts on sort of the advantages and disadvantages of being based here in, in Vilnius. Anyone want to take first shot at it? Let's try. All right. Uh, so of course it depends, you know, on area. I, I think because if you want to start business in, uh, in to have basketball business, uh, probably you know it's the best place on earth. <laughs> on the other hand, you know, if you want to achieve something in soccer, it could be a bit difficult. But being more serious, um, actually, I, I you know I never thought about you know pros and cons being based in Lithuania because you know we are all Lithuanians and just started business here but um, uh, the most important thing I th uh, I believe is uh, people because you know we have so many great talented you know curious uh, hard working people uh, so it's actually the best place to be uh, of course uh, our market uh, is quite limited because you know we have fewer than three million people, and if you take into consideration kids and elder people, it's even more fewer. You mm -hmm. know? Uh, so, uh, but yeah, and uh, maybe you know if you need uh, some money uh, or you think about venture capital and uh, trendy venture ca capital companies, it could be quite difficult because uh, it's not a secret that you know. 
not everyone uh, knows Lithuania uh, because probably we need more unicorns, not only one hinted. <laughs> um, yeah, so my thoughts. So what about, you know, you mentioned that there's a 3 million-ish population here that, that probably most companies that would start here would be looking externally right from the beginning. That, that maybe would be a bit of an advantage. Would you agree? I don't know. I think um, it sounds small, three million, but on the other hand, it's big enough. You know, uh, you got a thousand people. So, you know, in, in the bigger context of things, Riga is around the corner. Uh, people are easily moving around through the Baltics or from Poland to here. I, I don't see it that much as an as a constraint. I meant more as, as a target consumers outside of Lithuania. Yeah, so, so, so consumers don't try to search them in Lithuania because yeah. like, it's, it doesn't make sense at all. I mean, it, it's so small. Yeah. Like, you'll just, like, you're going to make a product with a language that is difficult, as difficult as Chinese, and then you have a target population that, that, that is so small. No. <laughs> so, so, so definitely build something that is scalable around Europe, uh, mm -hmm. US, or whatever it is. I mean, I think, I think that's one of the beautiful things, you know, both of you guys have, have done here. Um, but in terms of, of people, it's it's absolutely an advantage to be here. Okay. I mean, they're, 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 the population is very well educated. People are working really hard. They're not just working for money, but they want to show that they can make something from here, which is a, a different driver emotionally that, that makes people do things that they will never do when they're from Berlin or from London or from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, just, just to a point where we were at a company firing half of the company, the other people that stayed, they actually stayed. I mean, try to do that in Berlin. You're saying like, well, you know, guys, our revenue is declining. The rest of the money that we have left over, we're going to burn on television and we're going to mm. cut out <laughs> half of all the revenue streams. And we would love you to stay over for a couple more months to see if it's going to work. Like in Berlin, everybody would be out of the door the next day. Right. Right. Here in Lithuania, people are like, hell yes, let's give it a try. You know, and, and that's that's an attitude that comes from... Uh, having a driver to build businesses here that is more than to make money. Mm -hmm. And I felt enormously attracted to that. I felt at home in that. And and it, it makes teams do here things that I've not seen them do in Berlin or in New York. And mm -hmm. I, th I think that's a massive advantage that we have here. Awesome. I love that. I could uh, I could second that. I, mm -hmm. I, I do agree with what Jonas and Thomas said. Um, I would just add the nuance here is that uh, due to the lack of optionality in this market, because it is very small, mm -hmm. uh, people have less experience in 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 in, in their kind of uh, disciplines, and uh, due to that, they are more loyal because they have less uh, optionality. Um, uh, not only more loyal, but they are also more excited about opportunities because there is less optionality, and then they require from the company a little bit more kind of guidance, education, etc. So that creates all of this kind of uh, environment where uh, companies invest in people, like Testnet invests heavily in people, we invest heavily in people, Vinted has has invested heavily in people, and. You invest a lot in people because they bring less uh, experience, and but that in turn brings more loyalty. And I think that's mm -hmm. a very good dynamic. Uh, whereas in Berlin, the relationship is very much transactional because mm -hmm. you can get employed at any other company next month. Mm -hmm. uh, but also they can bring some uh, some some good power. Um, I guess where the disadvantage of Lithuania is 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 the English language, uh, where like. 
in order to sell to outside of Lithuania, which we all do, uh, you need to tell the story really well mm -hmm. um, for your ads, for your creative, for your sales message. And if you uh, if you don't uh, if you don't you know uh, kind of if you haven't employed the craft of English language well, and and you can't sell, then I think that will be a problem. So I think yeah. that's kind of a big disadvantage, and that's the reason why many of us employ marketing teams in Berlin, for example. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean. But, but if you think of it, like the difficulties of localization uh, is, is way smaller than the difficulties of building an actual company and a product. Right. So building your actual product here with people here and then fine tuning the, the comms and marketing from Berlin, I think it's actually a fantastic combination that is easily done. Right. And, that's, and, and some of that is, is pretty easy to outsource on the, on the kind of communications and, and marketing side of things where... Most of the rest of the stuff is pretty hard to outsource. <laughs> Anything you'd add, JV? No, definitely. And I mean, I'm, I'm super glad to hear a lot of stuff I can relate to about, you know, the people and the energy you get there. And, and I mean, I've, I've lived and worked in, in the UK, in Denmark, and also in France. And I mean, you talk about English level. I mean, have you worked with French people before? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you guys no, are no doing comments. great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Like back six years ago, or maybe almost seven years ago, when I started to interact with the ecosystem here, uh, there was just the first VC coming to town. So the ecosystem was just blooming, just mm -hmm. getting started. And I remember bringing my friends here to talk at uh, Login and to do some workshop from Copenhagen, from like the B2B SaaS scene. And they were like, this is great. I mean, almost telling me that this is cute, what we are doing here. <laughs> <laughs> and that we are like, oh, five, six, maybe seven years behind. And I was like, we don't have time to, we don't have seven years yeah, to catch yeah, yeah. up and like, what's the options? And then of course we could expand and, and many companies were doing this opening in London and so on, but also many companies decided to invest back in the talent scene. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, what all the ecosystem have invested, we got it 10 times back and we are definitely ahead in now in some kind of niche uh, comparing to, to the competition, especially if you look at FinTech. Uh, I think a lot of effort were put in this direction and we have some great FinTech companies, uh, but then also, I'd like to say that uh, when it comes to um, product and, and you know building uh, technology here, like we are definitely the underdogs. Like no one expects you, mm -hmm. but then you know you can kind of get beaten in the ass, and that was Lithuania. Right. Awesome. <laughs> so, so Thomas, when you uh, when you came to Lithuania, did you know much about Lithuania before you before you decided to be part of this turnaround? No. First, I confused it with Latvia. <laughs> painful. <laughs> So I was very ignorant and um, uh, they booked me, I came at night in this uh, super, they booked me in this super old Congress hotel or something like that where like the carpets are red and the carpets go up to the wall. Oh, that's uh, that's yeah. the place they put me actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I came in at night from New York and I'm like getting into this, out of a cab into this, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be Soviet all the way. So. So, and then the next morning I woke up and there was like elderly people having breakfast. It was like a German elderly tourist <laughs> tour or something in my hotel. I was like, oh, wow. But then I walked out and I saw it's actually a beautiful city. Then I met the guys and, and that's where, you know, I met the people at, at Vinted and I saw with how much passion they were working. And I don't know, it didn't, didn't matter anymore, you know? Right, so, right. So, so it's, it's all, it was all different than I expected. And uh you know, I stayed because I love it. So, you right. know, very quickly I realized it was a great place to do business and to live, actually. So, 
Wow. So um, let's let's dig in a little bit more to what you actually did because that, again, that was I was I was so excited when I saw I was going to be on the panel with you, given given that story. So, you know, what, what what was the problem that was holding back growth, and what were some of the key things that you guys did to to turn things around? Yeah. So I I think uh, I, I came in at the beginning of your talk, and um, a couple of key points that you laid out were exactly missing, and. Um, one of the elements that you said, uh, for example, what is the value that you deliver to customers? So the first thing that we did is I mapped out, okay, what's our value proposition towards customers? So we looked at, okay, um, what are we doing? We're selling clothes. Okay, where can you sell your clothes? Okay, let's look. Uh, eBay, Kleinanzeigen, uh, Le Bon Coin, da, 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 da. We put down all the propositions, looked at what their offer was. Then we did tests, like how fast you sell clothes there. And it practically became super clear. Like we were the most expensive and you sold your clothes the slowest, <laughs> if you were even lucky to, to sell it. Right. And so, so that was the first thing, like, okay, our value proposition is not on par with the rest. So how do we add more value? Well, we need to make become the cheapest, and we need to sell the fastest. Mm -hmm. Okay, sell the fastest, that means our sell-through rate needs to be within a certain point. So you looked at what our success metrics, well, Northern Star is unique sellers. So we need to build mm -hmm. the biggest community with unique sellers. How do we do that? By making the time to sell as fast as possible. So we need to reach a certain sell-through rate within certain days. And to be very honest, that was actually it. Mm -hmm. so, so it was really driven from how do we give value to people? When do they are happy with us? And how do we reach as fast as possible? Wow. And then just turning every arrow in your company towards that. Right. And it practically Amazing. that's what we did. That's fantastic. It's uh, so so cool to actually follow on from what I was just talking about and and hear kind of, I mean, talk about things being a, a before and after test. So, so much of my experience was sort of customer zero opportunities where I went in, you know, with Dropbox, there was eight people when I was there and, you know, customer zero, it logged me in and uproar. And so... I didn't really have that contrast of the before and after in doing a lot of these things. So it's, just, it's amazing to hear when you went in and, and just added this, that it made that big of a difference. And of course, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of operational things and other things that you brought to the table, but that's... And I think like constantly, still even now, I think even now when things are going well, you need to constantly ask yourself, what is the value that we actually add? Are we not getting outpaced? And, and one of the elements that we figured out later is like, hey, we can play with the shipping pricing, for example, as well. And we brought again another growth loop into the game. Like, hey, we're not just a UX marketplace. We actually are the full funnel of this. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think if, you, if we look at where our marketplace is moving, and I think you can even tell more about that, is like actually we, we went from being marketplace that was practically a front with a certain product that made you sell. And now we see that actually the verticalization into shipping, payments, customer support, trust and safety products, mm -hmm. really finding in each of these elements growth loops and verticalizing and building businesses within that is every time when you practically need to apply these growth hacking tactics that you're, you, you, you're, you talked about today, because each of these elements are actually business within your ecosystem. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we're going from, let's say, where tech companies were just a tech surface supplying some kind of element to becoming like full service companies that, mm -hmm. that really own all these parts. So, so I think even along the way, not in the beginning, it stays relevant to test yourself towards these things. Yeah, I think people miss that so often with growth that they, they assume it's just about getting more customers, but if you mess up those touch points, those operational touch points throughout the business, you can't keep the customers. You, you just, you're not going to be able to drive sustainable growth. Look, look if, if you think of that, right? So if you are, 
if you are constantly just focusing on let's how can I get a better conversion rate to lister or to buyer or whatever, and that and you think that's your job, you know that's not what Jeff Bezos did when he built uh, built his marketplace. He was selling books, and then he ended up with a Kindle, right? Yeah. So so you need to think like where's going books next? It's right, not about right. just the conversion rate. It's about really understanding the whole element of reading books. Like how can we do that better? How can we service all these elements in there? Right. And I so, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, I have to set the record straight on something. Uh, the hotel that they put me up is one of the nicest hotels I've ever been in, so I'm not in the same place. So <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will transition to Jonas now. So tell us a little bit on, on Tessonet. I mean, it, it, to, to be pushing 1,000 employees <laughs> now, what, what did you guys, like, what, why did you even decide to start the company and, and what, what were some of the, th the important things you did in the beginning that put you on that kind of a trajectory? Yeah. So, you know, at the beginning, we were, we were thinking about global warming, uh, poverty, uh, you know, huge scale of conflicts, uh, wars and uh, the lack of education. Uh, but actually, no, you know, <laughs> we were always driven and we are still driven by, you know, curiosity uh, to do to do something online, you know, to create a uh, new business, uh, uh, to, to try to generate, you know, some traction to, to those projects. And, you know, we we are, you know, growth hackers from the very beginning, uh, you know, so no, nothing special, I believe, you know, just, you know, uh, inside, you know, some, something inside. And, yeah. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm hearing this kind of theme of curiosity come up a, a couple of times. Do you think that's, that's something that's pretty natural to the Lithuanian culture is, is having curiosity? Or just people in general? What do you, what do you think, GB? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we have uh, seven values that we check when we hire talent, and one of them is curiosity. Okay. Yeah, and we hired 100 people in 10 months. Uh, Here in Lithuania, yeah. so, so there, so there was at least 100 people yeah. who had it. <laughs> and what was the, uh, did, did you have to talk to 10 to find one that fit? Or? I actually, I'm not in charge of that part. Okay, <laughs> you, you assume. <laughs> no, no, but, but I, I still believe, yes, of course, there is a lot of curiosity in the market, but I will also say that sometimes, and uh, I would say people are naive, but in a good way, like uh, of you know trying and not being afraid to fail at at at, at stuff they want to experiment. Mm -hmm. And I guess also like working with the first or the second generations that is looking west and not east uh, uh -huh. here is uh, kind of driving and fueling this curiosity that mm -hmm. even if you are the first company selling you know secondhand uh, online in Lithuania, uh, you will be the first to do this from Lithuania. Right. Like uh, selling whatever product online or whatever, and that just creates a lot of drive that is linked to curiosity as well, and, and that's, I think it's really great. Well, that that is great. So let's why don't we transition to sort of your your expertise uh, in in the B two B side of things uh, when you when you look at so so what you just heard about Vinted there and some of the things I talked about um, it was more more B two C focus. What do you think are some of the biggest differences in, in B2B that people who are focused on B2B should be fo looking at? I mean, it's just that in the type of B2B business where I work, we have a much more, so like you said, with Dropbox and Slack, it's very close to consumer with the self-service experience where it's heavy on, on the UX and the marketing side of it, on the product marketing, I guess, if you call it like that. And in the, with the type of B2B companies we work with, it's more what we call the SMB or enterprise market where you have this heavy um, human sales touch in the process. And 
So that's the key difference that impacts the sales cycle. But then as well, what is very similar still is we focus on always start with the ideal customer profile. Um, and I guess you also work with personas in, in B2C that you want to target, you know, the ideal uh, customers. Mm -hmm. and, and the main difference in B2B is that we have more stakeholders. So we'll have the decision makers, the influencers, and the bigger the companies, the more of decision makers and influencers you might have in the process. You might even have several layers of influencer called champions, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the key difference that uh, you need to keep in mind. But at the end of the day, uh, what we always say is that even if it's B2B, people still buy stuff for personal reason. And the personal reason they would buy it is you will help them to reach their KPIs faster. And, and of course, you being in the industry for, let's say, 10 years might help to have people picking up the phone when you call them. But at the end, they will not buy it because they know you. They will buy it because you help them to reach their KPIs faster. Mm -hmm. And they might get a bonus or might just get to keep their job or who knows, might just get home and watch more TV. Uh -huh. uh, but at the end, it's still personal reason. So what would you say is the most common mistake you see when you get involved with a company? Uh, companies who are in love with their products and don't talk enough with customers. Uh-huh. So they just, uh, they, they feel like on B2B maybe that they, that they just come out with a solution and maybe don't need to do as much customer research as you would on consumer? Yeah, most likely. And I think this is just a problem of uh, the, uh, with human beings. We just tend to go more where we get uh, positive and, uh, feedback or compliments. And what you get from customers is not always that. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's just how you grow. So how, how do you overcome the risk? I've, I've always had this assumption that um, you know, with B2C... If you're growing, there's, there's a pretty good chance that you have product market fit. But with B2B, maybe you got really good salespeople who are, who are selling a dream and the product just does not deliver on that. And so you can be growing. How do, how do you? Yeah, and that, that's a very good point. And actually, you mentioned, uh, well, the, how this no staff metric is important according to revenue. Yeah. And I've been with companies and part of Salesforce where we just oversell it. And we are super fucking good at closing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then eventually we get churn uh, because, you know, we have the new biz team that just has a new biz target, bringing new business, new, new revenues. Then we give it to the customer success team and it's like, guys, we've done our job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they cannot deliver. Okay. And I think, and that's one of our other seven uh, key values, delivery. It's actually on the top okay. and, and why you need to align on then why I think if you focus so much on the personas, uh, and making sure that you align on that you are going to create value because you're going to help them to reach um, their KPIs. You can help a lot. Actually, mm -hmm. one book that I'll um, mention a lot when I train salespeople is um, Delivering Happiness uh, by yeah. the guys from Zappos, yeah. who actually said that whenever customers cannot find the shoes they are looking for on Zappos, customer success or customer support, whatever, we look for shoes on whatever other website and send them the link. Mm -hmm. And they believe, they believe that this is how they deliver value. And that people will come back to Zappos because they still found the solution on Zappos. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it. It, it, it's very important as well for salespeople in B2B to be able to do the same. Like if you find out that the solution the customer is looking for is not yours, you still, and if you can, of course, suggest something else and you will still deliver value. And next time you reach out and the pain they have match your product, which is the painkiller, then they will still look at you like, oh, this guy delivered value to me already. Right. Yeah. So they can do it again. And then you have the trust to, yeah, to be able to connect with exactly, them. Exactly. Yeah. So Thomas, let's uh, let's talk a bit about Oberlo. Um, how how long did it take for you to sell to Shopify from the time you started the business? Yeah, it was two years actually. Two years. That's a, that's amazingly fast. So what was it that you? I never knew that. <laughs> what was it that you sort of saw as a market opportunity that that 
just how did, how did you know to go after that opportunity in, in a way that you would get enough traction to be an attractive acquisition target so quickly? Sure. So we never planned to sell. We actually tried to hire Thomas three yeah. years ago, <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't work out. Um, so I, th I think it, it links to the experimentation and, and to what you've just uh, talked about. Or maybe actually before that, when I said about Lithuanians don't speak English, I think we speak really well, uh, better than many other European nations. Absolutely. Uh, what I was referring to is what was more like uh, uh, to, to write a copy that sells, right. requires excellent knowledge uh, of language and, and that. Marketing speak. Yeah, that we don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, why, how Aberlo grew and, and how it links back to the growth, uh, and growth framework that you've proposed uh, or talked about is uh, I think. Uh, what is very important is actually the mission and the purpose before any experimentation because, I mean, if, if, if Facebook didn't have an, an objective or a mission, um, you could easily increase the daily active users by just sending more notifications on a mobile phone. Uh, so all the KPIs are very easily played, especially in bigger organizations. So I think it's very important to kind of nail down why you're doing what and, and how does that help users and why they're using that product. Um, so we launched Oberlo as Ali Importer. It actually helped people import products from AliExpress, which was a very kind of um, technical uh, transactional relationship where like we, we help, it was like a feature more mm -hmm. so than a business. Um, how we grew actually uh, links to this, uh, us understanding why we exist and how do we bring value to the merchants. Mm -hmm. um, we basically asked them, why do you use uh, Oberlo and, and how, how do you find it? What problem does it solve you? Uh, we basically talked with our customers, and um, and what they said is uh, they didn't use Oberlo to complete a, 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 a kind of complete a task. Uh, they used Oberlo to uh, start a business. Mm. And for us, it kind of unlocked all the marketing opportunities that, hey, maybe our users are not the people who are looking to import products from somewhere to somewhere. Maybe our users are people who want to earn more money and travel the world. Right. That's a much bigger audience than the people who are actually starting kind of importing products from one place to another. Uh, and I think w once, once, we, once that was unlocked and it was all qualitative, it, there was no data there, which is, you know, it doesn't sound great, but it's, it's just like us thinking about our business and, and what what is the value that we're bringing and what is the opportunity out there. Yeah. Uh, and then from there we've grew and, and that caught the attention of Shopify. Fantastic. And um, clearly Shopify is like one of the hottest rocket ships on the planet. So what, what did you learn about growth from Shopify? Because clearly they've got something figured out over there. Yeah, Shopify has, <laughs> has grown quite a bit. We've, uh, we've just talked. Uh, but... Uh, I think what you would find at Shopify is unconventional thinking. If, if, if you know, all of these companies are following like pre-standard framework of growth and how people come in and how they get activated and move on. I think Shopify is unconventional in a way that um, it really went after the low end of, of the customers. If, if, if a traditional way of, of, of growing your uh, kind of revenue or customer base is, is you look at all the segments of your customers and, and you identify who are bringing the most money and where you have the, mo the biggest ROI and you would double down on them and you would bring more of them. I think what Shopify did, they looked at all of them and said, we are going after the low end even if they are not bringing any money. Mm -hmm. uh, because the reality is everyone starts somewhere, especially right. in, in the service that Shopify does. And uh, so all the Kylie Jenners, uh, all the Gym Sharks, uh, and all the other kind of unicorn e-commerce stores started small. Um, and when you start with Shopify, it's pretty hard to switch places. So 
Um, I think it's similar to AWS. Like uh, mm -hmm. it's a default starting place for many yeah. startups, and it's very hard to switch uh, your hosting solution later on. So I think Shopify did that, uh, which is unconventional, and I think that's just one of the many examples of how uh, differently Shopify thinks than the rest of the folks in the industry. Yeah, I actually heard the same thing about Zendesk that they they got uh, Airbnb in the really early days and and uh, and then it turned into a massive client for them. But it it was it was kind of not a not a big client when they joined there. So I think being able to yeah being able to serve companies and scale with companies can be can be a really good strategy for getting rolling. Um, so clearly, I think for. For um, definitely for Tesonet and and probably for for everyone the the difference between you know running the business in the early days and then later on when when you have lots and lots of people and all the challenges with that what what is uh, how how is it significantly different now than than it maybe was in those early days from for both like kind of operational and also continuing to serve customers and not become over siloed and keeping people focused on mission. Anyone want to take that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, then you're big. Uh, it's, uh, let's say, easy to think about growth because, you know, you have a lot of tools for that. Uh, you have money, you know, to invest. Uh, you have talent around you. You have experience. You have user base. Uh, you can even think about, you know, acquiring your competitor. Um, but then you're small, you know, uh, you are quite limited. So maybe your creativity works uh, mm. a bit better. So I personally believe it doesn't matter you are big or, or, or small. You, you know you have to always think about growth, and um, yeah, you you should always look for opportunities in product or marketing. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think you you kind of want to replicate like little little companies within within your companies like little teams who who have that that similar drive and culture as you had when you were sitting with a smaller group together in the beginning and that's that's a bit tough but on the other hand if if you do it it creates uh, so much more fun because you get all these little groups who are like solving their own problems running their own businesses their jobs become more interesting and their output becomes better and the impact on businesses is, is bigger so i think that's like, I just always try to think, like, how am I going to get this group of people into having an exciting, fun job? Right. And, and I think that, you know, trying to, 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 to stimulate that type of behavior helps a lot. Because actually what he, what he says is it's, it's very true. You, you can very easily get lazy and, and think, like, well, let, let's just buy these competitors out and <laughs> let's, let's move on with this bullshit. But it's much nicer to, to set up a team to kill that competitor and like, right. come up with all kind of creative stuff to do that. And I, I think it's just more exciting. And, and I think that's a hard thing, of course. Obviously, when you have a thousand people or, or even more, it becomes more and more difficult. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I think that the, the, the kind of trying to get people passionate about the mission and, and, and you, you mentioned like the, the fun of success and the challenge of that. And then you compare that to the number of companies that feel like oh we need to we need to bring in ping pong tables and and you know do do things to kind of create a fun culture where it just it seems foreign to me that that that, that the pursuit of success would not be fun in and of itself so it's uh it's, it's an interesting <laughs> contrast and you know it's fun then you can buy your competitor faster than two years 
But I, I think another way to put it that is that over time, uh, people start focusing more on the internal things rather than external. So when you're a very small startup, everything you hear about is how to get more customers, what customers are telling about you, what is the CAC, like all these opportunities out there. And as you grow, people just care about the internal stuff, like what tools you use, what are the procedures, who's reporting to who, and how does that work. Yeah. And I think if in line with kind of building small teams or staying creative, I think it's how do you keep everyone focused on the external size because all the opportunities mm. of growth are out there. Right. It's not actually within. Um, so I think that is uh, an extremely important point. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and you should not hire people who care about a ping pong table. Right. Because that's like, they should become professional ping pong players. <laughs> right. And, like you should hire people who are passionate about building stuff and building it together with you. And I think yeah. filtering out that in the beginning, especially when you're like cool company like Tessonet and you give big events and everybody's like, that's nice. They'll probably have good pancakes at breakfast. And like, <laughs> wait, you know, those wait, people, wait. You, need to, you need to make sure that they don't join your company. Right, right. And the guys who are, don't give a, oh, sorry, don't, don't care too much about doing the unsexy stuff, but really love to build things. Those are people who are actually, I think, similar to us and, you know, will build a company that, that you know, can afford ping pong tables. Right. So I, th I think that brings us to a pretty good transition of, uh, what is the difference between companies that just achieve this breakout success and, and so many other companies kind of languish and, and go out of business? What, what do you think some of the key factors in, uh, on, the, on the two binary outcomes are? Look, if, if we knew, we would be incredibly rich. <laughs> we wouldn't be CEOs of these companies. We would run the world. <laughs> so, so in other words, maybe luck? I think luck is a big factor, but it's also like uh, having teams that work really hard for it. And, and I think there's so many different successful companies that, you know, if there was a very simple five points to point out what to mm -hmm. do, uh, you know, that it would be very clear. But I think to nobody that is. And I think all of us have very different stories on how we reach in different times success. Right. So I think um, the only thing that you know is that nobody knows. And yeah. you have to try a lot of stuff. Why do you talk about doing so many experiments? Because nobody knows. Right. And and you just try a lot of stuff. You work really hard. At a certain point in time, you hit something. You're like, oh, my God, this is working. Well, let's try something similar again. And let's see if that builds up. Right. So it's, I think you need to just work hard and try a lot. Yeah. And yeah, you need to be fast learner every time. Because, you know, we saw in examples like, examples like uh, Yahoo or Nokia, uh, they were at the top, you know, and uh, I thought uh, it's impossible to beat mm -hmm. companies like, like these. But actually, when you are a fast learner, uh, you're curious, so you can achieve whatever you want. Uh, but yeah, hard work also uh, comes together and uh, other stuff. Yeah, and I guess the pattern I see walking with so many successful entrepreneurs uh, is maybe brutal honesty. So to have this capacity exactly when you run Nokia to say, are we brutally honest with ourselves yeah. right now? Are we really passing We're in on trouble with, here. Yeah, or <laughs> whatever, right? Yeah. No, we are so big, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that this kind of mindset of being always brutally honest with yourself on the team uh, is hard to keep probably and, and maybe it's one of the patterns we see in successful companies, yeah. Right, right. I, I like the brutal honest uh, piece. Uh, what I would add to that is that it's it's pretty hard to see what you can't see, and I think that's where uh, 
kind of the diversity comes in in terms of you building a company and making sure that there are people who understand things that you don't understand. Um, so f to grow a successful company, you really need uh, a representation of everything. And if you are, we kind of talked a lot about, about, a lot about this uh, lately, but you really need uh, a representation of, of everything within the company that will help you find all these blind spots mm -hmm. um, that you can't see because um, I think kind of the folks at, at Yahoo, at Nokia, and, and other companies that failed, they, they basically didn't see what they didn't see. Right. Uh, which is, you know, how, how could you solve for that? Yeah, it's a, it's a scary lesson for a lot of people. Hopefully it's, uh, it's, it's one that, that keeps people's eyes a little wider open when you see big, big giants like that fall. There, there are more examples like Brandless, all the SoftBank investments, uh, yeah. the, the pizza delivery truck, and, right. and WeWork and, and others. So. Yeah, absolutely. So even yeah, perceived hot new companies sometimes are, are a little more smoke and mirrors than they, than they may seem. So I, I do think, though, that... Um, you know, one of the things that Thomas you you had mentioned was the uh, you you went in and and the team hadn't really articulated what the value was at Vinted. I think a lot of times that um, and I was kind of joking when I said, "Is it just luck?" But but I do think that in creating value in the first place, there is a little bit of luck involved there. That that you mean it starts with. It's not that hard to validate that a problem exists, but to get the solution right. That, that addresses that problem is, is pretty tough. Yeah, and, and if you listen to these things, because I agree a lot with what they're saying, actually what you hear is like, how do I increase my probabilities to luck, right? Yeah. I'm gonna uh, take a lot of different people that look at this problem from a different angle. So I got like many different ways to look at it, which increases my probability of seeing it. I'm gonna be very honest about what doesn't work because right. then I can write off a lot of stuff. I'm not gonna lie to myself, pretend things are, are there. And then I'm gonna try effortlessly to, to do that. And you know, if you look at it, those are all ingredients that you know, tries to you know, gamble with that luck because right. in, in the end, all those things that you're building, usually they've not been built unless you're rocket internet and you're copying a wor working model. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's actually a good approach because yeah. you eliminate a lot of that luck. Sure. Uh, but uh, um, so so I think in those cases it's a lot about you know how how can I increase probabilities and right. uh, um, and being humble about it that you know many of these things are luck you know yeah and and when you got something then really try to operate on that lucky bit yeah. really well yeah uh, yeah so once once you've once you've created that value. Work hard to understand that value, understand how you create that value, understand all of the elements that, that build on that value, and then just turn it up as much as you can. So there's that execution and hard work and building the right team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you found that luck, realize it's luck, right? Because, yeah. because don't think you're super smart, because you're not. <laughs> like, you're not. And, and I mean, if you look at the SoftBank success, that guy who had that thing, you know, he got very lucky with uh, uh, his previous investments in China specifically one company that did really well, doesn't mean that every time you throw a bunch of money at something is going to work. You yeah, know? Yeah. So, so really realize, like, okay, I got lucky this time. I'm going to keep on doing the same thing of being humble and trying a lot of stuff to make right. sure this luck keeps on running. Instead of thinking, well, we were so smart. You know, two yeah. years we sold the company. I'm so smart. It went up. Ah, that's not so big. We're so smart. No, we're not, man. We got lucky a couple times and right. we were willing to continue to, to invent on top of that. Yeah, it reminds me when I, uh, when I left LogMeIn, so much of our growth was, was buying intent. People were looking for remote access solutions because we had a competitor who was spending 
hundreds of millions of dollars building demand and charging a lot for a product that we gave away for free. So we would just buy through search engines. Yeah, same thing, but free. So we didn't even focus on differentiation. It was just like harvesting all of that. And then they get to Dropbox thinking, oh, that playbook, I can't wait to do it again. And nobody was looking for Dropbox. Nobody knew what the heck a Dropbox was. And so it was just, it's that, that when you think you've got it figured out, being able to recognize pretty quickly that like, you know what? I got to figure out a new playbook because this one's not going to work. And uh, so it could be a little scary. <laughs> cool. So any, any parting uh, words that you want to share with everyone out here? And I'm not sure if we are supposed to open up for questions, but, uh, but we'll, we'll have some parting words and then uh, maybe questions over beer afterwards. <laughs> What's the one recommendation you would give someone who's, uh, who's, who's trying to make their business a success? Yeah, so uh, I would I, I really like the way to look at it uh, probabilistically to your success. So it's not binary; it's not a failure or success. We are all kind of working on something that has a chance, and your goal is to maximize that chance. Um, and and I think one important thing, uh, which is kind of my uh, takeaway, is uh, when you look at it probabilistically, you want to kind of make sure that uh, the upside is really big, because yeah. you multiply the upside by the probability to get the expected value and. And then if your upside is, you know, taking over Lithuania, that's a probability of 10 over 3 million people, which is a very not exciting thing. Um, so you really, you really have to ask yourself a question, not whether that, that's going to work, but if, if it's going to work, how, how big it can be. And I think that's a huge takeaway that we in Lithuania especially sometimes tend to like overlook. We, we really focus on kind of just the local market. So really aim big because um, kind of the success will be eventual kind of the function of, 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 of probability and, and, and depth side. Yeah, and I, would, I, would, I would take that and say anytime you're doing any individual test that, that being able to have a lot of upside on any individual test is, makes it more likely mm -hmm. that if, if it's successful, it can be a game changer in your business. So yeah, um, any other parting words? Uh, I guess based on that and what you were saying earlier about, you know, uh, figuring out in one place and it doesn't work necessarily the next time is probably also set expectations that if you're about to start something or already working for something, don't look for shortcuts. There are none. And that's a sad, sad reality, right? That yeah. uh, you just like, and I see uh, many f salespeople or founders trying to kind of copy paste some playbook. It's like playbooks are there for inspirations for you to kind of tweak on, but yeah, yeah. you cannot just copy paste it and assume it's going to work and that's going to be your shortcut to market. Right. Uh, Maybe it worked with bitcoins <laughs> back in the days, but yeah, that was the exception to the rules. Absolutely. I would suggest uh, not only look for huge improvements, but for small ones as well, because, you know, when you have 5% uh, conversion rate uh, increasement uh, uh, per month, uh, and when you combine, you know, all these uh, improvements, and uh, you can see in the end of the year that it's, 80% for example so yeah and when we you know divided our business into very uh, uh, into a lot of different uh, small parts and try to improve each of each of, uh, of, of those so you know uh, after one or two years you know we saw 500 or 600 percent uh, you know improvement so um, you can be very successful if you you know try to, to look for growth in every part uh, you know of your business. Mm -hmm. Love it. Good.
So I agree with, with those points. And I think to the point of, uh, of, of Thomas, so from the Thomas corner then, I think <laughs> uh, um, I, I really like the point. And I think when you make those bets in the beginning and you start to think about, re really realize and don't be ashamed about the fact that you're going to fail like 10, 15 times before you're really going to find it. So don't, don't, don't feel shame in, in, in failing. Be honest about it and be, don't be thinking about, you know, it's going to be a sexy ride. I'm going to be co-founder. I'm going to be CEO. I'm going to all the sexy stuff. No, man, <laughs> it's the unsexy stuff that make the business work. Right. And that means failing 10 times. And I think all of us at least failed it 10 to 15 times before we got something working. And, and, and I think if you put that mindset on and you put it in the probabilistic stuff and realize these things that small changes matter, then all, all of that together, you know, might, might get you there. Right. But, but realize it's just going to be tough. Like, I think all of us have gone through super tough periods and, and many of our teams as well. And it's not a sexy ride, you know, get ready for that if you want to start doing this stuff. Right. Absolutely. So the, the one thing I would, I would leave uh, on top of everything else is just figure out what matters right now in your business. Figure out that thing that matters the most. And so for some, it might be, do we have any value at all? That's the, that kind of product market fit. Do we have a product that anybody wants? Once you know that some people want it, then it might be how, how well do we articulate it? How do we start to get enough people in the door? And then eventually maybe it's how do we start to find massively scalable channels and how do we fix the support problem or whatever it is, but just putting a lot of energy behind the thing that matters most in your business at any given time, it gives you the, the highest likelihood of actually being able to solve it. Excellent. Well, thank you guys. That was, that was fantastic. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.